Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, we're going to wrap up the book of Exodus uh, today, uh, because studying Exodus and preaching at the same time is a lot. And so, here's what we're going to do. Today, uh, what we looked at last week and where we have been, if you see in your notes, um, we've been asking the question, will a holy and loving God remain with His rescued but sinful people? And that song really caught that idea. Who else would call us, uh, allow us to call Him Father? Only a holy God. Uh, will a holy and loving God remain with His rescued but sinful people? And as we've moved through Exodus, remember in Exodus 19, God's glory came down on Mount Sinai because He kept His promise to Moses, the promise He had made at the burning bush, that if you will step out in faith and deliver my people and, and, uh, and obey me by faith to do what I'm calling you to do, I will lead you and meet you at this mountain. So he keeps his promise out of love. And out of love, he though there on that mountain says, hey, I expect you to be holy as I am holy. I love you. And because I love you and because you are my people, I am holy. Therefore, I want you to be holy. And so he revealed the Ten Commandments and the entire holy law and expectations of God. And in love, he said, reason I'm giving you this law is because I want to dwell with you. I want you to be a holy people so I can dwell in covenant relationship with you. I'm loving you unconditionally. I'm electing to uh, pour my grace and mercy out on you, but in this relationship, there's mutual love and respect, and I want you to be faithful and obedient to my covenant. And so the people said, yeah, we'll do that. And so God says, okay, let me reveal my blueprint for my tabernacle, my dwelling place, because I want to come down and not just talk to you from the top of a mountain, but actually come down and dwell among you. So here's the blueprints and the specs for the tabernacle. Here's how you, you're going to establish a priesthood because you need mediation between me as holy and you as a sinful people. And then... In love, he reveals all this, but while he's revealing it on the mountain, what are they doing down below? What? They're breaking every one of them before they even got them. They broke them before they even got them. And out of love, he says, look, I can't let anyone or anything defame my name or diminish my glory, for I alone, I alone am the holy God. And so he's going to obliterate them. But in doing so, before he does this, he tests Moses. And he wants to test Moses to see if Moses loves the people with the same kind of holy love that he loves them. So he says, hey, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them out, but I'm going to start over with you. And, uh, you know, that just appeals to everything wrong in our hearts, but, but we can relate to it. Like, you know what? Yeah, these people are frustrating. Wipe them out. You know, I'm better than them, start over with me. But Moses does what? He passes the test. He passes the test and he says, look, if you're going to blot them out, then blot me out. In other words, he's willing to lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice on behalf of the people. The only problem is Moses isn't a spotless lamb. Moses isn't a sinless person. Only someone as holy as God can do that. And so 
uh, God says to him, yeah, well, you passed the test, you love them like I do, but you're not able to do that. And that creates a tension that remains in the Old Testament. Who is this one? How is God, who is holy, going to atone for a sinful people when there's no one holy enough to atone for them? How's that going to happen? And, of course, that's the promise and the fulfillment of the New Testament. So, in love, he says, look, you can't be that person, but I'm going to provide it down the line. But then he tests the people of Israel. He puts them to a test, too. And he says, look, here's what I'm going to do, Israel, because you've sinned and because Moses has interceded and asked forgiveness for you out of grace to him, I'm not going to wipe you out. And I'm even going to let you go to the promised land. But here's the test. I'm not going to go with you. Do you want my gifts more than me as the giver? Do you want the blessings more than the blesser? And to our surprise, and by God's grace, Israel passed the test and they're like, no, 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 we cannot go if you do not go with us. And so that's where we're at in Exodus 33 through 34. Moses again intercedes For the sinful people, and he asks that God's glory would do two things. God's glory would remain with his people. And I've given you the background. And that his glory would be revealed to Moses. That his glory would remain and go with the people and dwell among them as he had planned and that he would reveal his glory. And so in you see there, I kind of give you this interchange. Because if you don't get this interchange, you're not going to appreciate Exodus. There's this, this constant mediation, this constant back and forth. And so Moses makes a request. Will you remain with your people? And you know what God says? He says, yes, due to grace I show to you as the mediator. I will remain with this people I will remain with the people because you have interceded and I am showing you grace. You don't deserve it, Moses. They don't deserve it, but I'll remain with them. And then he says, will you reveal your glory to me? And, and Moses says, or God says to Moses, I will, but it's only because I'm freely choosing to do so. I show mercy to whomever I choose to show mercy to. No one, mercy, by its very definition, you don't deserve it. So if you come to God and demand mercy, you have, you're not going to get it. Because you don't understand it. We come to God and we say, I don't deserve it, but I desperately need it. Will you please give it? And so he says, yes, I will, by my free choice, show mercy and reveal my glory. So, last week we saw Yahweh's, the I am God, Yahweh's response in Exodus 34, 1 through 7. He reveals himself, I am, I am, the God who is unlike any other. And as the song captured so well, he reveals this unbelievable, awesome glory and goodness of his character. Last week, it's online. If you didn't hear it and you didn't get to learn it, there it is. Now, what was Moses' response? Well, look at uh, Exodus 34, verse 8. We said last week, Moses' response was amazing. It was worship with a surrendered heart to his sovereign God. Worship with a surrendered heart. Look at Exodus 34, 8. Moses made haste to hit the ground. He bowed low toward the earth and worshiped. 
He lowered his... In other words, you're so great, I need to be... No one needs to see me. They just need to see you. But also, notice. So notice a couple things. First of all, receiving a revelation of God's love doesn't lessen lordship. It increases it. You know, you see love, you don't say, oh, you know, I'm going to run in here and we're going to be buddies and we're just going to hang out and I'm going to treat you just like any other buddy I got. No, listen, when you see God's holy love, it doesn't lessen his lordship. It increases it because look at then look at how what he requests then in verse nine. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, now notice I said this last week and someone was missing. When I say small, no caps, I mean this is in no caps. This is the word Adonai. And it simply means master, sovereign, or king. Okay? But when, he, when you see Lord and it's in caps, small caps, right? What's that stand for? I am. I am. So here God just revealed himself as the great I am, this loving redeemer. And what's amazing is having just had this revelation, he doesn't address him that way. Instead, he says, Lord, he makes a request and he says, Lord. And so the tension there is to remind us when you really understand God's love for you, it increases your sense of his lordship. It doesn't diminish it. And listen, I'm telling you, our culture doesn't understand this. And the vast majority of Christians don't understand this. It's not even preached this way from the pulpit. And yet I'm sure it's right there. When I grasp God's unconditional love for me, I don't want to live a loose and immoral and lax life. I want to, I I go like, oh my gosh, you're this holy and you love me? Master, sovereign, here am I. What do you want me to do? But look at what he asked for. Verse 9, he says, if now I have found favor in your sight. So, obviously, I found grace in your sight. You've shown me grace because you show me your glory. And when I see your glory, I see your love, but it increases my sense of your lordship. Here's what I'm going to ask. What would you ask? Let the Lord, again, no caps, let the sovereign master go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, I do not deny that they're hard-headed, And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your possession. I want you to see that not only does a revelation of God's holy love not lessen lordship, but increases it, but it also doesn't turn us inward, it turns us outward. He's like, whoa, this is awesome. I don't want it just for me. Remember, he's been up on that mountain 40 days, 40 nights. He's getting all this personally. And he's saying, I'm not satisfied with me just seeing your glory. I want all of your people to see your glory. And Moses knows that as they see his glory, then the nations see his glory. And the spread of his fame will be among all peoples. This is the heart of the person who has grasped the holy love of God. And so he asks the question, 
will you remain with your people? And here's, here's Yahweh's, here's the I am God's response in verses 10 through 35. The rest of chapter 34 is his response. And you know what the first thing he says? Look at verse 10. Then God said, behold, basically he says, yes, I will remain with this people. Behold, I'm going to make a covenant. Before all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the, this time, Lord, the Redeemer, the Promise Keeper, the glorious, compassionate, but holy God. They're going to see the Lord for, and then he's back to the holiness, for it's a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. But then look at verse 11. Be sure to observe what I'm commanding you this day. And so the rest of 34 is simply saying, look, I'm showing you grace. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain with you even though you're a sinful people. But please understand, that is not a license to sin. That is not an excuse to, to sin and expect me as a holy God to remain with you and not and there not to be consequences. Alright? So here so let me summarize all of that. How did the I am God, who is both holy and loving, respond to the request of his mediator? He responded two ways. Out of a loyal love, the I am God reveals the glory of his name, thirty four, one through seven. Out of a loyal love, the I am God reveals the glory of his name And number two, out of a loyal love, the glory of the I am God comes down to be with his people in his place. Wow. Out of a loyal love, the glory of the I am God comes down to be with his people. That's why this lesson is entitled, I am with you. And you say, well, where do we find that? Guess what? The rest of Exodus. The rest of Exodus that we're going to cover today from chapters 34 to chapter 40 is all about get ready because glory is coming. Glory is coming. So God's glory comes down to dwell with his rescued but sinful people. But the reason I did all that background is if you, well, for one, it's one book and it's one story. And God assumes that we've read all that and we understood that. If you, you know, if it, this whole series, again, if you haven't heard it, go back online and download it. But it all builds to this wonderful result. But man, there's tension, right? Because God's holy, they're not. Moses is interceding. Moses isn't a completely holy person. How is this all going to work out? And will it work out? Well, let's look at it. I am with you. Is, revol- is revealed in the final chapters of Exodus. I am with you is revealed in two simple ways. God's tent being built and God's glory coming down. God's tent being built and God's glory coming down. And God's tent being built covers basically the rest of the book and God's glory comes down is the final paragraph of the entire book the final paragraph and you're just like and if you've read through this and if you've gone through the study you're like you know you just you know you're just like this is amazing 
This is amazing. And no one is being toasted. Wow. So let's take a look at it. God's tent being built. We're talking about the tabernacle. Uh, Okay, we're going to jump through five chapters. Are you ready? Chapter 35 is basically... Uh, God, uh, uh, the they are the people are instructed by God through Moses how to make it. Okay, God says, and here here's why. Listen, here's why the instructions. This isn't people. This isn't the Tower of Babel. People building a religion in order to work their way up to God. This is God coming down and revealing. Here are the parameters. Here's the blueprints. Here are the specs. Okay, Jerry, you got an architect for a daughter. Specs are important, right? You go to these schools. I'm sure she doesn't, she walks around and says, you know, maybe, you know, because she's a human, you know, she says, they didn't do this according to how I wanted it. You know, I planned it this way and they didn't do it that way. That's okay because it's Aubrey. It's not okay when it's the I am God who is holy, right? And so he's giving the instructions in chapter 35. Um, let me let me just read uh, one and one. No, let me not. There they are. You just there you go. I just taught that. It's two constructed, constructed by the people under Moses' supervision. Chapters thirty six through thirty nine is the making. Okay, they got the instructions. Now they need the construction, and it's fascinating to read this passage of scripture because you know how God's work gets done. It gets done by God's people who give give generously and are spirit-filled in what they do. You got to read the chapter. You got to read those chapters. But those chapters are about two things. The people, remember how they had all the plunder from Egypt and they used that plunder when they were living in sin to make a golden calf and worship the things that God had given them. When they're right with God, you don't hoard your blessings. You give them to the work of God. And they gave and they gave. And we haven't quite yet reached this point, but we've had a few moments where Moses had to say, stop, stop giving. We went over our Shama campaign. We went over our raising funds for the Maconde people. That's the type of giving we're talking about. And we're coming up on world outreach, and we need to make a commitment. And guess what? We're above what we anticipated. That's good, but we're not where we want to be. We're asking God for 5000 more over what we've had in the past because we need that buffer to keep these projects and do some of the things that you're going to hear these folks talking about constructed. But they had to be spirit-filled. You couldn't just be talented. You needed to be right with God. And you need to be spirit-filled. And then, having the instruction and then the construction came the inspection. It was inspected in chapter 39 by Moses, the mediator, according to all commanded. So, just like in any construction job, you know, Aaron, you're there. You, you know, you're, you're the builder kind of guy. You're the Moses kind of guy, aren't you? Kind of making sure, right? Pretty much. Man, I'm, I'm making it up as I go, but I mean, you know, work with me. Um, so, you know, you're going around, but somebody's going to expect that, right? And it's got to meet specs. Well, here's the reality. Here's the thing. Moses 
as God's representative, as God's mediator, he inspects it all and makes sure it's, it's according to what God commanded. Okay, so they have, And then it's erected. Okay, so you come to chapter 40, and that which is instructed, constructed, and inspected is now erected. It, it has to be built, and so it is built. And so let me say this real quick to you, because I'm like you. You know, uh, you know it, it doesn't matter how much you study the Bible. When you hit places that are repetitive, you're like, deliver me from evil, right? And so, but you, do you understand why this is... See, when you get the story, you understand why it's repeated. It's repeated to emphasize God is holy, and we need to do things as He says. See, we think God grazes on a curve. You know, we think of God, again, the loving grandpa. You know, I mean, it's great to be grandparents, you know, at least so I hear and observe. You know, you don't have to do any of the dirty work. And when they're messed up, you don't have to feel really responsible. It's like, that's on you. That's you. You know, that's on you. And you just get to love them regardless, right? And and sometimes we think that's how God is. Hey, he's loving and he's a grandpa and he just overlooks everything. But when you see this repetition and it keeps saying, Moses did all that God commanded. Moses did all that God commanded. Moses did all that God commanded. The repetition is there to remind us that while God is gracious and loving, he is holy as well. So let me make two observations. You could teach a whole, you know, lifetime on the tabernacle. Let me give you two observations. Number one, the tabernacle was the holy place. The tabernacle was the holy place where God's glory, glorious presence would dwell in an ordinary tent with his people. This is radical. So there's two main words for the tabernacle that are used in Exodus. One is sanctuary and the other is tent. And sanctuary has the idea of holiness. You can hear sanctification in sanctuary. It basically means the holy place. The holy place. And the sanctuary involved, in fact, I think you got a picture there in your notes of the of it. The sanctuary included everything. The courtyard the utensils, the you know, it was everything, the holy place, the holy place. But when you say that, and when you realize that, don't forget the lesson of the burning bush, the burning thorn cursed bush. What makes a place holy is the presence of God, not the people or the place. Okay? And then the word tent. Now, the tent referred to literally the dwelling, the tent where God's glory would dwell. Now, here's what's radical. you got this one word that says, holy place. You're not. It is. Beware. Don't come near. And then God dwells in a tent. Now, Dane, you went tenting, right? Yeah, how was that? Was that great? That was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, would you like to? Yeah, it was cozy. Dana, would you like to live that way all the time? Probably not with your new home that you got. Of course you wouldn't. And yet the word for tent, God humbles himself and condescends to dwell in a pup tent. The same word for all the tents surrounding him. Woo! Is that beautiful? The holy glory of God condescends to dwell 
in what on the outside looks like an ordinary tent, and I just can't stand it any longer. I've got to take you to John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, which literally means pitched a tent. He tabernacled, he camped among us, and we saw his what? His glory. Glory as the only begotten as the Father, equal with God, full of, uh uh-oh, are you ready? Full of grace and truth, full of love and holiness. The glory of God in the person of Christ dwelling in the humble tent of a human body, just like yours and mine. Wow. That's just cool stuff. Number two. The tabernacle pictures the glory of the I Am in both His holiness and His love. The tabernacle pictures the glory of the I Am in both His holiness and His love. In both His, or to use John's categories, in both His truth and His grace. So real briefly... Let's look at this. How is his holiness? And I'm just giving you, I'm telling, I'm just giving you the top of the just giving you the top of the surface, okay? So everything had to be built according to the blueprint and specs that God Himself revealed and required. And by the way, we see elsewhere in Scripture the pattern is of the literal temple that's in heaven. So this isn't made up stuff. You know, this isn't just You know, this isn't made up stuff. There's a temple in heaven, and this reflects that kind of glory. Number two, the place where God's presence dwelled was called the most holy place. If you didn't, if you couldn't, if you didn't, if you missed God's holiness in the tabernacle, well, when they talked about the holy of holies, and that's kind of a Hebrew way. You know how they said holy, holy, holy? Well, holy of the holies of the holies. This is the most holy place. It's where God dwelt. The closer, now this is cool, the closer you came to His holiness, the more precious and valuable the materials became. So as you entered, it just had this dull, you know, it looked like Dane's tent on the outside, just looked normal. But as you went in, the more you got closer to the holiness of God, the value of the materials got more expensive until you were in the Holy of Holies and you looked around and you're like, everything's covered in gold. But it's not only, that was, you know, like wood covered in gold. But when you looked at the Ark of the Covenant, the box that held the law of Moses, there was a mercy seat, a lid of mercy that covered the law because the people would break the law and it needed God's mercy so God wouldn't break out on them. That was solid gold because that's what's most precious. So again, we can't help but go to 1 Peter 1.17 where it says, knowing, if you address the Father, like in the song, if, we, if you address His Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay, of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, and on it goes. 
For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Wow, powerful stuff. So all this is playing out in Exodus, and God already knows before the foundation of the world how it's going to work out. Finally, whenever the high priest ministered before the I am God, he wore a turban with a solid gold plate. Remember, the greater, the, the more value the material, the greater the holiness, that was inscribed with these words, holiness to the Lord. Because that's the only, listen, without holiness, you don't see God. And thank God we got a high priest who is holy. And He stands and He pleads our cause and His blood forgives our sin and written across our foreheads our holiness to the Lord. The challenge is we're supposed to live that way on a daily basis. We need to be living that way. You, me, all of us. How was His loyal love revealed? God allowed the tabernacle to be built. I mean, just... (laughs) He just let it be built even after... Israel had sinned, and he knew they would sin again and again and again and again. However big the blank is, you put as many agains in there as you can, and then put dot, dot, dot. Now, that's love, is it not? Number two, God's glorious presence would dwell with his rescued but sinful people for the fame of his name among all people so his love is seen he's gonna he's in a tent now what's that mean so like dana dana they they you what did you do hike up three miles and you camp two nights right and then you got you packed everything up and moved god intends to go with this people to spread the fame of his name among all peoples that's love this wasn't just for moses it was for israel it wasn't just for israel it was for world outreach celebration finally god himself would dwell in the center of his people where all could see his glory and benefit from his loving leadership protection comfort and help up till this time he's dwelling high up on a mountain and they have to stay way back up till this time there's only one man in all the earth who gets to even come close to seeing god's glory that's moses the mediator But out of love, God wants to come down and dwell in the midst of us ordinary folk. And that's pretty amazing. So, I am with you as seen in how the tent is being built. But the climax here is God's glory coming down. I am with you is seen in God's glory coming down. So, turn to the last chapter of Exodus. And we're going to look at Exodus 40, 34 through 38. 34 through 38. So let's look at it. First look at verse 33. Moses, and by the way, Moses is the one directing and doing this. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and he hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. In other words, they worked from the inside out, and now the outside boundary. Thus Moses finished the work. And then here you come. Then the cloud 
covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord. L-O-R-D caps, the I am God, that glory he saw last week on the mountain is now coming and dwelling. And even Moses the mediator cannot draw near. So we know Moses is not sinless. And we know Moses is not the Savior. There's one greater than Moses. Throughout all their journeys, wherever, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. He goes up, they set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, when they, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. If he stayed down, they stayed in place. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord, the glory cloud, was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Now, I have video and I can't show it. I just, we don't have time. And probably shouldn't anyway. But I'll give you the link on our website, okay, or on our Facebook page. Just by chance, yesterday, I just saw this... Actually, I think last night. I just saw this. Referencing, how many of you have ever heard of Bethel music? Okay, well, Bethel music, yeah, well, stay away. So Bethel music is uh, produced by a cult that claims to be Christian. And literally, they promote, this is a two-minute video of a glory cloud entering their worship services. I'm not kidding. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, this guy with a straight face. And it has gold glitter. And there's smoke. And they all get their phones out. And they all look at it. And little kids are sticking their tongue out. And as, the, as this montage ends, the pastor says, Some people gather around sermons. We gather around His presence. Run! Run for your life! One comment on there was classic. Who ground up the golden calf and threw it into that cloud? The gold glitter. Which I thought I thought that was awesome. Who ground up? You know, and why gold? Anyway, I, 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 it's this is a man and crowds of people. But you know, it's easy to critique that. But one, I bring it up because obviously people are deceived enough to to believe it. And and false teachers are bold enough to advertise it. But setting that aside, what do we settle for? You know, what are our golden calves? What, are, what do we, you know, say, woohoo, look at that. You know, how does our entertainment get in the way of consistently gathering around God's word? Because, by the way, when his glory came on that mountain, it wasn't about the thunder. It wasn't about the lightning. Because, you know what, Elijah's going to be on that mountain in a few years, and he's going to be in the cave, and God's not going to be in the thunder. He's not going to be in the hurricane. He's going to be the still, small voice. God revealed. God preached. And so we gather around God's Word because it's His revelation, not mine. Are you with me? So what golden calves, what entertainment, what, 
What things are a greater priority than gathering with God's people on His day and worshiping His glory? So here's a couple things. You got your picture there. Uh, just notice some old, old covenant promises that are going on here. God is dwelling now in the center of His people. That's cool. God's dwelling place was the first to be set up, and it was the first to be taken down. And if you notice, the front faced the east, because the east is where the Lord's going to come from. Now, jump way forward to the New Testament. The temple faced east, and the front of the temple was called Solomon's Porch. And guess what? That's where the early Christians would gather. Why? Because they anticipated the Lord's coming back to His temple, and we want to be at the forefront. All right, and then notice the lion of the tribe. The tribe of Judah leads the way. Well, that's the line that Jesus comes from. So Jesus leads his people into the glory of God. Uh, number three, God's people would never move until He moved. We sing a song about that. It, 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 it you know, I, I, it kind of bothers me that song, Todd. You know, we will not move. I'm like, okay, maybe the, you know, you know, until you move. Okay, you know, anyway, you know, I'm, you're not going to budge me. You know, but it's this idea, right? It's this idea. The idea that we're not going to move until he moves. Well, let me give you a hint. God's always moving in this dispensation, okay? And so we should be moving with him. Number four, God would lead his people to his place where his presence would dwell for the fame of his name and the good of all peoples. Now, where's the new covenant fulfillment of this? Number one, Jesus Christ is now the tabernacle. Jesus Christ is now the place, the holy place. He's the holy person. He's the holy place. John 1, 14, God became man and tabernacled with us, having the glory of full of grace and truth. Number two, local churches as the body of Christ are now holy places. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 says that this local church is where God's glory in, in each local church that preaches the I am God and gathers not around smoke, fake smoke and gold glitter, but gathers around the preaching of God's word and the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. Number three, each believer is also the temple and the tabernacle. So, and that's not because of who we are, it's because we're connected to Him. So think about it, Christ is the tabernacle, the local church is His body, and we are in Him. It's all about Him. But because we're connected to Him by the new covenant of His blood, we get God's glory dwelling in us. So let me give you four applications. Because the glory is in Jesus, but where is Jesus? up there, we're down here, what's the promise? He's going to come down, your kingdom come, your will be done, your glory is going to be manifested for a thousand years, then that's going to usher in the new creation where there's no more temple, no more tabernacle, and it's just the Father and the Son, and we are like Him because we're going to see Him as He sees us, and we're going to be glorified, and His glory is going to be there. No courtyard, no veil. Wow, isn't that great? No more darkness, just the glory of God. So here's some applications. But right now, we're on a wilderness journey. See, right now, we're like the Israelites. We are in enemy territory, 
And we're on a pilgrimage to the promised land, to the rest of the coming kingdom. So what do we need to do? Number one, God's glory needs to be the center of our lives. God's glory. And I can't think of a better passage than 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if we had time, we'd look at that passage. Why is God's glory? Why does Paul say eat and drink to the glory of God? Because it's meant to be evangelistic. Spread the fame of his name. We live for the glory. Listen, when you don't live for the glory of God on a daily basis, lost people remain lost. And when you live for the glory of God at work with attitudes and actions that reflect God's glory, lost people see his holiness and his love. Number two. God's glory is to have first place in our lives, our families, and our church. He gets to be first. Seek first the kingdom of God. His tent, you know, he led the way in their march. His tent was put up and everything was put up around him. Could I challenge you? On your calendar, in your budget, in your daily schedule, Put God in there first and then let everything else work around it. You got Put God in there first and put everything around it. Number three, God's glory in Jesus and His indwelling Spirit is leading us and we are to follow, not the other way around. Oh, man. You know, set your eyes on Him. Our life is hidden with Him until He comes and reveals His glory. The Spirit is always leading. The question is, are we following? And then finally, God's glory is to be proclaimed to all people. God's glory is to be proclaimed to all people. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. Listen, God has blessed us with the new covenant so that we can go forth and let the nations know. And you can't go to Argentina, but the masters are there, but you can help them stay there. You can help their ministry to be fruitful by pray, by praying, by giving, by loving on being here when they're here and loving on them. So I end with this. The I am God is always present with his people for his glory, our good, and the joy of all peoples. When I taught this, uh, had these sessions with our kids at camp, I, I, I just kept wanting them to understand that if you're truly born again, God's glory dwells in you. And if God's glory dwells in you, it's because His Spirit dwells in you. And if His Spirit dwells in you, then He gives you the want to and the ability to do that which is pleasing to Him. If you, and I'll say to you and close with this, what I said to them. If you're sitting here and on a consistent basis, you don't desire the glory of God. You don't desire the things of God. And you just don't have any power or ability to live for God. Then you need to ask yourself, is God, am I in covenant relationship with Him? Because the promise of Philippians 2, 12 through 13 and Dane, I'm, I'm, I'm on the spot here, so I'm not going to memorize. We're memorizing it. And it is memorized, my brother. So then, 
my beloved, not as in my absence only. Now, see, I just messed it up. Just as you've always obeyed, not as in my absence only, but now much more in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation, what? With fear and trembling. Why? Because God's holiness dwells in you. With fear and trembling, knowing, knowing this, that God is the one who is at work in you, both to will, desire, and to work, do that which is pleasing to Him. That's the story of Exodus. See, they didn't have that promise. They had God laying there, and they blow it the rest of the Old Testament. Then Christ fulfills it, and now Christ gives us His Holy Spirit. And if you're born again, if you're, if you're born again, there is a want to and the ability to live and glorify God. And so, either one, you're not born again. Two, you're disobeying and you're suffering those consequences that will come to God's people. Or three, you're struggling and fighting and you're seeing God at work in your life. Not perfect, not sinless, but sinning less. And when we do sin, we're quick to confess, quick to repent, and quick to move back under the blood and for the glory. Isn't that good? Oh, man, that's just good. Okay, we got close. This is good stuff. Take those applications. Put them in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come and we are, uh, wow, we're in awe of how you work through the book of Exodus. We're in awe of how you work out the plan of redemption prepared before the creation was even made, before we were even born. And yet, Lord, you have called us out of our darkness, out of our sin, out of our blindness, and you've shown us grace and mercy in Jesus. And now, Lord, we get to work out the salvation that you have freely worked in. Lord, may we live for your glory, and may we see the nations beginning right here in Kansas City, come closer to you and enter in to that same glorious saving relationship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We made it through the whole book of Exodus. And I am thankful. It's been good.